0: I think the main thing is that really uncovering the quickest path to knowing what the expectations of you are and where the gaps are in terms of what you need to do to progress to the next level and doing absolutely everything that you can to close those gaps if that's what's important to you. Because I think one thing that we often get, and I've been guilty of this too, is we get so tied up on the, the title and the promotion and all these sorts of things. And we don't stop to think about, okay, what's the real differentiator between my role and this next level up and making the deliberate effort effort to work harder at doing that. So since I was a relatively, you know, I, I was a new product marketer, my focus was always on how do I just get better as fast as possible? Welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and
1: hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jopper. Every two weeks, I pull insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers to uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Aubrey Chapman, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Q4, a leading capital markets communications platform. Aubrey's path to PMM is highly unconventional. He initially wanted to join the military to become an F-18 fighter pilot, but ended up going in a very different direction. Aubrey has done a lot of different things in his career, including sales, management consulting, investment banking, equity research, HR, product, strategy, and writing for the Globe and Mail, personal finance websites, and even working as a catering chef before landing in PMM. Today, Aubrey leads product marketing for Q4's growth products and is obsessed with helping investor relations professionals win in capital markets. During our chat, Aubrey dives into his path from no formal PMM. During our chat, Aubrey dives into his path from no formal PMM experience to senior PMM in under a year and how he used unconventional experience to his advantage in transitioning careers and trying to grow rapid. All right, with that out of the way, let's dive in.
0: Hey, Aubrey, how's it going? Hey, Mark, how you doing? Good, thanks. Pretty excited to have you here today. I'm really excited to be here too, and, and thanks so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. Oh, you're too kind. Well, let's get into it then. Uh, it'd be great if you
1: could walk me and the listeners through your career so far, and what you do at Q4 as a senior PMM.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, Mark, I'm a senior PMM here at Q4. We're a software company that works in the investor relations and capital market space. I've been at Q4 for about a year now. And before that, I've done a lot of different things. I think I've started off my career in sales, worked in the speaking agency world, actually, for a little bit, which was a lot of fun and learned a lot there. Then I worked in management consulting and did my MBA. And then from my MBA, I worked in investment banking and equity research and did some corporate strategy roles and worked in HR for a little bit, and uh, also spent some time in product and strategy as well in the investment and asset management world, and then found my way to Q4 somehow, where now I'm a product marketer.
1: Right on. Well, we'll get into that journey in a bit more detail in some of my follow-up questions. But before we do, I'm just curious, you know, I've been fortunate enough in hosting this show to talk to PMMs across a variety of industries, but I always... Like asking a couple of questions whenever we talk to someone from the finance or banking space. Uh, And one of the ones I like to understand a bit more is you know, as a PMM, we often think there's a lot of creativity and flexibility in the role, especially as a loan PMM, to kind of make it the role that you want, pursue activities that, you know, you as a PMM are passionate about. But I feel like in the, you know, finance and again, broader banking world, there's a lot of, maybe restrictions is a strong word, but there's regulations and compliance issues to be aware of. So I'm curious with you in your role, how does that play into your day to day? Are there certain things that as a PMM you would love to do, but you just can't or certain things you, you know, you can say and can not say that you would love to maybe lean into a little bit
0: more. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question for sure. And I think it really depends on what segment of that industry that you're in, to be honest, when I was in, the investment world, I'd say that there were a lot of very specific regulatory things that you have to be quite mindful of. I spent a lot of time kind of dealing with global regulations when I was in the investment world. So definitely a lot to consider there. Uh, At Q4, it's a little bit different. We primarily deal with investor relations. And so it's a little bit different in terms of we're not necessarily selling Investment products, we're selling software to help investor relations individuals better be successful in what they do in the capital market. So it's a little bit different for sure here, but I'd say that in my past life, absolutely, it's a huge consideration that you need to take into account. And there's a lot of things that go into that from a sales and marketing and product perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I ask because, again, just in my role at Jobber, I've got some exposure to. The things that we're doing in fintech and I know in conversations with some of our own fintech partners, there's a layer of compliance that we always have to go through in developing different positioning and messaging guidelines and how that then, you know, translates into copy. So always nice to, uh, to see that others are going through it. Yeah, like you said, mm-hmm. maybe not in your day to day at Q4 today, but uh, in previous roles. So So thanks for shedding some light on that.
0: Definitely. So speaking a bit
1: about those previous roles, you know, you said, you know, in your introduction that you only just recently got into product marketing. What was it about product marketing that pushed you towards pursuing it as a career?
0: You know what? It's really funny, Mark, because I think for me, it was a matter of I had spent probably the better part of, you know, 10 years trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, to be honest. And I tried a bunch of things and I realized what I'm good at and what I like, but I never really found a job that put all those things together, to be honest. I mean, for me, I know that I've always been good at things like strategy and trying to answer those big where to play and how to win questions, financial analysis, financial modeling, writing is something that I've always been passionate about and something that I've done for a while. And I think there wasn't really a lot of jobs, to be honest, that brought all that stuff together in a certain way, along with being able to work cross-functionally and work with a lot of different you know, different stakeholders. And it's funny, I had a a random chat with a product marketer that my wife is actually friends with about product marketing because I was kind of looking to do something else at the time and all the things that she was saying kind of put a light bulb on in my head and kind of went okay I should be a product marketer and so that's that's really how I got into it and that happened about a year and a half ago and then it was a matter of figuring out you know how do I break into product marketing what does product marketing look like at different organizations how can I apply my skills to the right opportunity to help me stand out because as i mentioned I, I didn't really have a whole lot of formal quote-unquote product marketing experience even though I feel like I had done a lot of product marketing related work before throughout my career and so that's really how I stumbled upon it and how I started about getting into it.
1: Yeah I I think the experience you just described is one felt by a lot of aspiring PMMs and I'll get into uh, you know your brain and pick your brain on some, some advice and recommendations you might have for individuals you know in a similar situation but before I do that you know, you talked about having that conversation with a friend of your partner and discovering that kind of what you were doing or the things that you like to do in previous roles, really aligned to product marketing and how it was defined to you. So once you had that realization, how did you go about answering some of those questions you, you know, posed to yourself? Uh, you know, what do I have to do? How do I break in? What does product marketing look at different organizations? I'm curious, you know, if you can share kind of at a high level what your approach was to answering some of those questions.
0: For sure. I I think for me, it was all about after I had that conversation, just trying to find more people like her in in the world that I could connect with to kind of put all the pieces together. And then the more people you talk to, the more you're able to do that. I'd say I also spent a lot of time looking online at product marketing job postings, taking all those, putting them in a a word cloud, essentially, and, and pulling out the key keywords. And then also just finding product marketing influencers on LinkedIn and just following them and just seeing the kind of things that they were talking about. And then after I did all those things, it was really a matter of saying, okay, how do I fit into all of this? Where are the things that I've done that are directly applicable? And what are the types of companies that could potentially find me interesting? And so that's kind of where I started. And then once I figured out that and built a mental model around what to do about it i built out a plan to basically set certain things that i could do very tactically to make my way into the field and then it ended up happening over time but it definitely didn't happen right away that's for sure
1: interesting yeah it definitely sounds like you applied that where to play and how to win approach to your own career so' definitely very smart and it sounds like one element of that you know analysis that i hadn't heard before was that approach of taking these different job postings and, and putting them into a word cloud and finding um, similar uh, words or, or maybe skills that, that kind of came through. So I thought that was really neat. I want to reiterate that for the listeners. Maybe that's something that they should consider if they're looking for positions themselves. Um, but on the topic of job descriptions, I want to ask you a question, maybe call it a spicy question, but without naming any particular companies, were there certain product marketing job postings that stood out to you as being like, Wow, this company has no idea what product marketing is, or, or they're expecting your product marketer to do this. Because I've come across a couple, and I've always found them pretty interesting. I'm curious if you came across a couple of those in your search as well.
0: That that's a great question, and it's funny because throughout my career, I've always been someone who kind of looked at a job description and and really taken it for a grain of salt to a certain extent, because I found that for me kind of like how how I've mentioned, I've never really fit in sort of that job description box per se. And I find that job descriptions in general do a really poor job of defining what you actually do in a lot of ways. So I think for me, I definitely found a number of, of job descriptions that were like that, that asked for a lot of experience when even if you think about product marketing as a discipline, it probably hasn't been around for that long, at least formally. And so I found that kind of funny. I also found a lot of them that really crossed over the worlds of product management and product marketing, which once you kind of talk to people and you learn more about that, you start to see the differences of where those two play and, and how they add value. But yeah, I definitely saw a lot of them. And the more that I saw them, the more that helped me clue in into the type of organizations that I wanted to work at. So the more job descriptions I started to find that were really kind of crisp on what I thought were right for me at the time and where I could add value and also just representative of what product marketing really is. It was a good clue for me to say, yeah, that's the kind of organization that that I want to work with.
1: Yeah. And again, I think that indicates a real intelligent approach on your part. And and yeah, again, and personally speaking, just in, you know, seeing a number of different job postings, whether they're posted in the PMA community Slack um, or just, you know, on LinkedIn, as they come up in your feed, you, you always get a sense of a company trying to hire a marketing role, and calling your product marketing so they can kind of get in on the buzz and the visibility yeah. that product marketing role comes along, and you read it. Like I said, you just realize, wow, this this company is is clearly a little bit misinformed when it comes to the value that product marketing can bring in and what a product marketer should be expected to do. So, yeah, as you said, you know, in, in going through that research and kind of identifying not only what good product marketing looks like and how companies that really get product marketing how they should be defining it. But how you yourself fit within those definitions, I think is a really interesting approach as well. Mm-hmm. Because I think so often, especially when we're in the job search, we just want to do whatever it takes to get the job. Even if we know the role might not necessarily be what we thought it would be or we're willing to make some concessions on what the expectations are. Um, but again, it sounds like, you know, you were able to come into that search with a very clear definition of what product marketing was to you and sought out opportunities that align with that, which, again, I think is, is really smart. So I just wanted to to highlight that.
0: For sure. And, and Mark, you pointed out something that's really important because I first clued into this by having a discussion with, with a product manager who's actually a guy named Diego Granados, who is is really kind of big in the product management world. And he basically you know, got me onto something really interesting about how this whole idea of job descriptions versus role like being very different. And then particularly in product management, you see this a lot where people hide what you know, you're actually doing as a quote unquote product manager job. And ever since I had that conversation with him and he's fantastic. I mean, follow him on LinkedIn, look at his content. Like if you want to know good stuff about job searching, like follow Diego, he's fantastic. But I I mean, I was very cognizant of that because I spoke to Diego, but also because I'd been in jobs in the past where you sign up for something and you're kind of like, huh, this isn't really what I signed up for. And it's not a great experience. And so I found that as I've gotten older and more experienced, you got to be really selective and have your spidey senses on because otherwise you can get into a situation where, you know, all good intentions, right? But but sometimes it just doesn't line up with what you're hoping to, to get out of your role. And then it's not a good situation for either one of you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, in situations like that, not only do you is the employee lose, but the employer loses because they've hired someone who's ultimately three, six months, nine months down the road, just not going to be happy in the role. And then they're back to square one looking for a replacement. Exactly. But before I move on to my one question, or my next question, I should say another kind of insight that you just shared that I want to uh, highlight is, I think as product marketers, it's, it's important for us to get outside of you know the eco chamber of product marketing and chat with people who have kind of been there before. And the reason I'm saying this, is because I recently had a conversation uh, with Zoe Moore uh, in the uh, customer uh, marketer. And the way that she described customer marketing is very much how I think product marketing was a handful of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think what she's done and what you've also done is chatted with people who are at that same stage of development, even though they're in a different role. So if I can explain a bit more, You mentioned, you know, chatting with uh, that product manager. To me, it feels like product marketing is now where product management was 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? Like we are more established now. Companies are starting to get alignment on what product marketing is, what good looks like, what less than good looks like, and the expectations are being set. So I think it's really smart on your part to not just speak with other product marketers who are in the same situation that you are, but product managers who found themselves in that same situation not that long ago and seeing how they navigated those same you know, hurdles and, and kind of stumbling blocks or, or just kind of like that mm-hmm. uneasiness of, of navigating a career in a, in a role that's still actively being defined. So if anyone, again, finds themselves in a position where they're looking for a product marketing role, don't be afraid to talk to product managers. Don't be afraid to talk to, you know, people outside the product marketing space who may have had similar experiences and can mm-hmm. share some good insights that you can carry over into the world of product marketing.
0: A hundred percent, Mark. And and I've always thought about this kind of like cross training. So I've, I've been a, an athlete for a lot of my life. I was a competitive martial artist and I played rugby and we were always doing different things. We were running, we were lifting, we were boxing, we were doing battle ropes, everything that you could imagine that would help us build a strength and a stamina to be well-rounded in terms of how are we approach our athletics, but also as a result, of our sport. And I've always kind of thought about my career that way, in terms of you don't want to be too focused on one thing. You kind of want to develop a certain set of things that you you're really good at and a group of people in your network who are very specific to your discipline. But the value that you can get out of going outside of that and thinking a little bit broader and getting a broader set of experiences plays An incredible amount in terms of you being able to do different things and make transitions in ways that maybe you wouldn't have been able to if you didn't think that way.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it's even bringing up an example that I always recall in conversations like this. I forget who it was, but there was a very famous hockey player who mentioned that they had gotten into, I think it was ballet or some form of dance because of the stability and agility and like mobility mm-hmm. elements that come with dancing that he was able to then apply into his professional career as a hockey player. Um, so yeah, in that same vein, look for the disciplines that you wouldn't necessarily expect you might lean into as a product marketer, whether that's, I don't know, finance, accounting, you know, you're non-traditional, well, I'm a product marketer. I'm going to go talk to sales or, or customer support or, you know, um, product get outside of even those, um, kind of tertiary, uh, groups, um, and see what uh, what kind of insights you can uncover. Some other uh, great advice that you've uncovered. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, all right. So on to my next question here. So again, in this theme of uh, you know learning new things um, and being new to the world of product marketing, I'm curious, what would you say were some of the biggest hurdles you had to overcome or lessons you had to learn early on in your product marketing journey?
0: I think the biggest thing that I had to overcome, which isn't probably that unique in terms of just changing your formal career title is just proving that you kind of know what you're doing to a certain extent. I think for me, I was kind of lucky in the sense that I had a lot of years of experience doing very specific product marketing things like competitive intelligence, like thinking about product strategy, business strategy, go-to-market strategy, working cross-functionally. All those things were core to largely what I've been doing for the past 10 years, probably. And then of course, you know, working with sales and, and I worked in sales, but I think that was definitely a big hurdle because when you first start out, you're always wondering, Oh, are people going to take me seriously? And yeah, I have this job title that, you know, isn't really product marketing. Like my job title when I was applying to product marketing jobs was a senior strategy manager. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> right. So I think that was the biggest hurdle that that I really had to face. And so again, you know, maybe we can talk about this later on, but I took a very specific approach to try to get over those hurdles. And then at the same time, having to learn exactly what I didn't know and do that very quickly and fill those gaps in a way where I could speak intelligently about product marketing without maybe have being a product marketer. So there's lots of different ways that you kind of need to learn how to think about product marketing that even if you have the product marketing background, to a certain extent, you won't phrase things or describe things as a product marketer would. And so I think that for me was a big hurdle that I needed to close pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious in your search, did you find because of the title that you had prior to coming into product marketing that you had to go beyond just submitting a job application to get to chat with someone from the company? Cause I feel like now, especially because there are so many, you know, good people in tech specifically looking for roles at the moment, that employers, you know, will employ any level of filtering or proactive screening they can to reduce the burden on their TA teams. So, you know, if I think about it from your perspective, if I'm a hiring manager and I see, you know, senior strategist. Uh, you know, that's if the resume even lands on my desk. If my you know mm-hmm. um, job screening software hasn't just filtered you out. So, was there anything that you had to do to go above and beyond to get maybe past some of those filters, either uh, you know through the the application itself or outside of it?
0: This might be a little bit controversial, Mark, but I, I've never formally applied for a job in in my life, and and honestly, I, I think it's kind of a I wouldn't say it's a waste of time, but I would say it's not. When you think about the return on your time, to me, my finance background always makes me think what's going to be the return on investment. And when I look at what surrounds applying for a job online through an ATS, for me, since I've had a little bit of an odd background, to me, the the ROI never really made sense. And so I, with every job that I've ever ever gotten, my default has always been understand the company, build a strategy around why you're specific, unique, and interesting, and just find people at the company to talk to and just do it genuinely. Don't don't ask them for a job right away. Get to know them as people. Show that you care about the company's mission and what they're doing and follow the news of of their company and their press releases and things like that. And that has always worked really well for me. That's definitely a longer-term approach, but I'd say that – When you look at the amount of time and effort that you can spend on writing very personalized resumes and cover letters, which you have to in order to actually show that you care about a job versus investing your time and effort on the other side. It pays much better dividends over the long term, but it also helps you build relationships with really cool people. Like there are a lot of companies out there that I've historically wanted to work for that I've gone that route and never amounted to anything. But honestly, I've got some great professional relationships now that I go back to time and time again, who I respect and admire. And I've never worked for that company or gotten a job at that company, but because I didn't focus on the job, I focused on the company and the person, it just turned out great either way. So I think for me, that's always really been the approach. And, and whenever I talk to people about this, I always ask them the question of, you know, when you take a look at your own return on time and your own differentiated ability to increase the odds of you getting a call, if you're gonna to apply to a job versus some other person, if that, if that calculation, isn't really, really good over your cost of time, you shouldn't even bother applying for jobs these days.
1: Yeah, again, I think that's a really smart approach to to take and to suggest to others because I know I've even seen on LinkedIn, and again, there's always an element of exaggeration on LinkedIn because it's a social network, but still I've seen posts from people saying, you know, I've applied to 30 jobs, 40 jobs, 50 jobs. I've had 90 interviews and, you know, I only just now got my first offer. And I think part of that is, Reflective of the insight that you just shared is that you know you're you're much better off forming a personal and professional relationship with someone than just submitting applications blindly. Like mm-hmm. I know early on in my career, before I learned a similar lesson, I submitted lots of resumes and felt like, wow, I after reading this, I, I don't feel like how I couldn't be the best person for this job. And then you apply and you never hear back and you realize, well, that hiring manager probably ended up going with someone within their network or a referral. Mm-hmm. And that person probably didn't have to submit an application. You think, that's the approach that ends up being more effective. Because mm-hmm. I think when you're in that mode of applying for jobs, you forget that they're ultimately not just hiring for a role, but they're hiring someone that they have to spend every single day with, either physically in an office or virtually um, in Zoom meetings or Slack. And, and if you don't have that, who is this person and that relationship going into that decision, it's going to be a much less informed decision. And as a hiring manager, that's a mm-hmm. scary decision I have to make. So you're right, having that Additional layer of that personal relationship and that connection goes that much longer. And that's something that I know was was drilled into my head through my own education and going to business school as well, is you know, networking. And, and again, you said it yourself too. Like whenever you approach those conversations, you don't want to go in saying, hey, can you hire me right out of the gate? But there also has to be an element of of honesty and 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 being genuine and not dance around the fact that ultimately you're here, yes, to form a relationship. But at the end of the day, like, you know, the job is the ultimate outcome. So I've always found it important to, to balance that, you know, seeking out meaningful relations, but also being honest, like, hey, if this works out, like, I would love to work at mm. your company and, and not hiding that because I think that can sometimes come off as a bit shady, maybe shady is too strong of a word, but disingenuous For is, sure. is maybe the best better description.
0: A hundred, a hundred percent. And just to kind of. Push on, on something else that you just mentioned, Mark, and, and you know, we, we've been talking about this in terms of building, you know, long term business relationships and being very specific about, you know, all those sorts of things that go along with it. But if you take that approach and and reframe it a different way, one of the main things about what makes a great product marketer is being really good at positioning and understanding who your segments are, why you're relevant to them and building a very differentiated message and value proposition around those specific set of customers. It's the exact same thing when you go to your pro you go to your job interview. And so for me making the shift into product marketing was a huge exercise of repositioning and segmentation and being very specific on my, my strategy to, to find a, a company that that would you know not going to lie, take a chance on on someone who you know isn't necessarily a, a quote unquote formal product marketer. And I'm super thankful that that my now boss has been willing to take a shot on me, and I'm forever grateful for for him and in, in doing that. But I think as you approach this, if you're coming from a different discipline or even if you are a product marketer now, it's just an exercise of positioning and very specific segmentation and then building the tactics and the channel strategy in order for you to reach your audience, say the right things to them and show why you are the best option for them to buy. It's really just an exercise in product marketing. What do you think about it?
1: Yeah. And to be even more specific, it really feels like it's a, an exercise in go-to-market strategy development. hundred percent. Right? I feel like, you know, we could call the episode of the title or the title of the episode that, um, <laughs> you know, approaching the job search as a go-to-market. It, and you're right. Just again, to to reinforce this before I move on to my next question you're much more able to effectively communicate your own positioning and value and di- differentiated value in a conversation or multiple conversations than you would in a resume or a job uh, application or, or a cover letter. So you're right, going about that just gives you more channels to leverage, right? Um, and, and in product marketing, maybe it's not always the case that more is better, but oftentimes when you're trying to, you know, to to reach a broader audience, more, more tends to be better. 100% well so we've talked about some of the hurdles that you had to go over but on the flip side, was there anything that you felt came fairly easily to you were there experiences in your career that you know you felt helped you become a stronger product marketer faster?
0: I think for me since I've always been in jobs that are very cross-functional, that has always come very easy to me. I remember my first job in in management consulting. I kind of it was kind of like one of those things where you you go into it having no idea what to expect, and then it's really just baptism by fire and you just get, you know, hit with so many things and at once. And I think for me that was a really good training ground to be honest. And then also doing the the investment banking and equity research piece, even though I didn't do it for very long was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had in in my life just for the sheer resilience and ability to just deal with complex situations, I think for me was was really uh, powerful. So again, that whole cross-functional piece was really easy for me. The whole strategy piece and thinking about product strategy, business strategy, go-to-market strategy, that was pretty easy for me. And then the the writing aspect of it. Right after I finished my my MBA, I started writing for the Globe and Mail about business school and and things like that. Started my own blog, and then I also do some some freelancing work on the side around helping you know startups or or financial websites uh, in terms of some of their content or trying to think about you know how they should be positioning themselves and whatnot. Um, so I think for me that that writing piece is always and communication has always been really helpful. I'd say that those are the things that really. I could lean on in the absence of being, quote unquote, a formal product marketer to the extent that maybe someone with a formal product marketing title would have had going into the job for sure.
1: I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and there's one thing I want to lean into a little bit more is that idea of being a strong written communicator. I remember in my undergrad, you know, I went to a school where the structure was slightly different than your traditional undergraduate program. So in my program, you got to spend two years, your first two years of your undergraduate program, effectively studying whatever you want. It could be, any other program that the school offered, you could pursue it. And then if you were able to maintain, you know, a relatively uh, specific uh, average and perform well outside of school, you would then advance into the business kind of two year condensed experience, uh, very high intensity, very, I won't get into the details, but it's, it's a pretty intense program. But anyway, the reason I bring this up is because I had selected um, to go into political science for my first two years. And, and you know, not a huge overlap with business. And then none of the courses that I took in my first two years really touched on business outside of maybe the the history of commerce was maybe the closest uh, program. But despite, you know, learning about political science as a a field that I find generally interesting, uh, one of the biggest skills I took away from that experience was, was writing essays. And I remember in my first year of business school, having to write reports and case study analyses. And, and the, one of the feedback that one of the pieces of feedback that I got regular from my professors was that my my written communication was so strong because I had so much practice writing essays relative to some of my classmates who had spent their first two years doing introductory level business courses or studying in other fields that didn't require as much writing. And again, the reason I bring that up is because I feel like writing is such a under highlighted skill to have getting into product marketing. And of course, you know if you've already graduated. To go back to school just to you know take social, uh political sciences to write, probably not the best advice, but ultimately at the end of the day, like if you can practice writing like you did writing for the globe or in doing blog posts, like just just the volume of writing and practicing, I think you know, to go back to this theme of return on investment, just pays dividends later on in your product marketing career or even early on, because it's such a critical component of success in product marketing
0: it's pretty incredible especially in the age that we're in now with chat GBT, and ai even how important that writing piece is i mean i remember when i was growing up my sister was a very good writer and i was a horrible writer when i was younger i mean i envied her and i couldn't even put a sentence together to be honest when i was in school and so that for me was something that, that i really wanted to develop and and now you know, you, you look around now that you're in product marketing and you kind of look at the messaging or, or the ad copy that people put out. And it definitely makes you ask questions of like, you know, so who are, who are they talking to? What are they trying to say? Does this actually really fit with what they're trying to communicate to their audience? And it's funny, I've actually done some experiments on messaging with GPT around things that that i've written or you know my my team has written and compare it to stuff that comes out of an ai uh, model and it's not there yet maybe one day it will be but the the ability to be very specific in how you communicate be really targeted and and get that your message across succinctly is a skill that I did not appreciate when I was younger. It wasn't even something that was taught in my MBA program, which I think it was a huge miss when we think about the value of that. And granted, messaging and product marketing is very different from copywriting, and they're not the same thing. But I'd say that if you know how to write and message succinctly and clearly, it, you can definitely make a dent in a product marketing career. Um, and build the rest of your skills around that. I think for things like, you know, financial analysis, financial modeling, you know, working cross-functionally, building sales material, all that kind of stuff, I'd say on the scale of easy things to learn, that's probably easier, to be honest, than learning how to write really well. And that's something that should definitely be prioritized.
1: I couldn't agree more. And even in the event where you happen to find yourself as a product marketer working with a copywriter, either internally or as a freelancer externally, being a strong writer to then hand that over to a copywriter sets them up for success because they're able to start from such a strong foundation that they will likely end up being able to create much more compelling copy from that. So yeah, again, couldn't agree more writing such a fundamental skill as any product marketer develop in any way that they can, uh, it should be pursued. So, you know, again, because I've been in product marketing for so long, I sometimes forget what it's like to be on the other side and, and being from the other side <laughs> in. And you know, for someone who found themselves in that situation more recently, I'm curious: what were some of the preconceived notions you may have had, or may have heard others have about product marketing that didn't turn out to be inaccurate? Didn't turn out to be accurate, I should say, or, or maybe were overstated once you actually found yourself in a product marketing role.
0: This is another one of those parallels that I'm going to draw from product management because. The more that I I learned about product marketing, the more I started to hear things like, oh, as, as a product marketer, you're the the CMO of, of your product, for example. Which is the same thing about how a lot of PMs kind of describe themselves as being the CEO of, of their, their product per se. And and I think that is very over exaggerated, to be honest. I, I don't think that. Um, that's really true in a lot of cases. Obviously, depending on your scope and your level and your role and, and who you work with, you definitely have a lot of you know, input into, into what goes in and things like that. But in any sort of highly cross-functional role where there are a lot of stakeholders involved, depending on, of course, how matrixed your organization is, the decision often very rarely ends up following with with you unless you're a more senior individual. Um and so I think that's something that is something is definitely something that that I thought was quite over exaggerated. I'd say the other thing is the and this is also dependent on again the type of company that you're at, which is is also one thing that I think is important to know about product marketing is how different it is across different companies. But I think the way that product marketing works with your marketing team is so nuanced and and different. And some companies really overstate, you know, what product marketing does in that marketing engine relative to content marketing and demand gen and field marketing and, you know, all, all those sorts of things. And even just thinking about that relationship can often be very overstated. And I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case at at my company. I love our demand gen team and our content team. And, and we really have a nice um, tight knit working relationship in terms of how we build messaging and, and implement that into our, our ads and our different channel strategy and things like that from a you know, top of funnel down to bottom of funnel perspective. But I would say that the more product marketers that I spoke to, the more I found significant variation and often very different Realities than what was described, uh, versus you know your, your job postings or even some of the product marketing literature that people put out these days.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and you know, I too have been you know kind of faced with that realization early on my career of being told either during the interview process or during the onboarding process from you know either my direct manager or from other senior leadership of the organization, this idea of you're the product marketer, exactly as you said, you know, approach it as you would as if you're the CMO of this product or this portfolio of products. And I think you're right, that is misleading, but I think what I ended up ultimately learning from that experience is, you might not necessarily have the autonomy that a CMO would in for that product or their portfolio, but you should approach every problem as if, as if you had that autonomy. And what I mean by yeah. that is, you know, you wanna be able to make decisions at that kind of level of thinking, but you, to your comment about stakeholder management earlier, you have to understand, and be okay with the fact that that's just one input along the decision process that gets considered. And unless you've explicitly been given final decision-making control, which again rarely happens within the world of product marketing, unless you're VP product marketing or, you know, a senior product marketer at the, you know, senior leadership level, you know, your suggestion might not always get picked up. And mm-hmm. I think that is one of the biggest lessons that I had to learn going into some of my early product marketing. learn to be, learn to be okay with that. that one perspective of many and ultimately it's up to either the lead of that product whether it's the pre-product or again ceo depending on the, the structure of the or as you said uh to make that decision and you kind of got sometimes got to suck it up and be okay with it and move on to the next problem and help solve that one
0: yeah it's it's a, it's funny because you're 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 completely right there in the sense of the way that you think. And I know that's something my boss always tells me is you know, he he looks to me to kind of think like that for sure and provide a strategy and a set of recommendations on, you know, what do we need to do in order to win at, at the end of the day? And so I definitely approach the way that I, I work from that perspective, but to your point at the end of the day, it, it's an input into many other decisions. And you know you might have a point of view on something, and it's presented well or backed up by data, and it's not necessarily a fit with a broader strategy sometimes, or you know just from a prioritization perspective, it's not top on the priority list, or a whole host of other reasons that you could probably go into. Uh, but yeah, definitely, I'd say that the the thinking process and the thought process of breaking down those problems and figuring out you know what to what to do about them is something that you're definitely looked for as, as a product marketer, but isn't necessarily something that you know always your recommendation gets implemented by any means. And it's not necessarily a reflection on you. It's just, you know, a reflection of just how companies work and lots of different people involved. So
1: yeah, yeah. And I think no more often is that reflected than in influencing the product roadmap. At least that's the experience I've had in my career is as product marketers, we often think, oh, well, you know, I've got qualitative and quantitative customer insights. I represent the voice of the customer. I'm talking to people in sales and support and success. So I know what should be done here. And then you get into the room with the PM and the senior product person, they're like, yeah, you know what, that's great, but we're going to do this instead. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that sucks. As you said, it's important to not take that personally, but the more that you can show up to that conversation with that strategy, with that analysis analysis, and with those numbers to back up your recommendation over time, you kind of chip away at that at that barrier and you get a little bit more say, but it's, it's never going to be something that just happens overnight where you come to the table with a recommendation and product is like, yep, throw it on the roadmap. Sometimes it happens and those are always big wins, (laughs) but it's rarely the case. And I think, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, those preconceived notions that I think that's one of the biggest ones is that product marketing tends to to have not as nearly a big of an influence uh, on the product roadmap as I think we, even as product marketers like to think.
0: Mm -hmm. For sure. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think when I was younger, I probably made the unjust assumptions that, you know, even when you enter any sort of company, that the default is that you're there and people listen to you. And as you get older and you see how companies work and how influence works and how decisions get made, you kind of have to start defaulting to, No one's going to listen to you unless you can prove that they should listen to you. And there's this really great analogy that that Ray Dalio, who's a big hedge fund manager who runs Bridgewater Associates, basically said, and he came up with this believability decision weighting framework, and that you should always talk to the people or listen to the people that have the highest likelihood of being right. And so then what are you doing to give yourself the highest probability of being right And doing it consistently over time. And I'd say that for me, coming into product marketing, figuring out what that looks like and how to do it has been a huge undertaking. And I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm an expert by any means. I still have a lot to learn. But to your point, like that whole willingness to just dig into stuff and put your point of view out there backed by hard data and facts or even just market understanding because sometimes data just doesn't exist particularly about things related to the future i think is a great way to add value for sure
1: yeah i mean i would argue i think you're probably doing a lot better at that than you think um largely because you know you recently received a promotion to a senior pm role so i wanted to, to take a, a break to, to to congratulate you for that and transition into my next question and and you know I think to anybody listening, they might think, well, you know, Aubrey just got into product marketing a year ago, he's already received a promotion, that seems like quite the acceleration, you know, um, was there anything that you did specifically to achieve that kind of growth in such little time? And I think more importantly, for the listeners, what advice would you have for someone looking to kind of go down a similar path and take the next step in their product marketing careers, even if they've only just gotten into the role, or mm-hmm. if they're, you know, new to the organization?
0: Well, fr- firstly, thanks. I appreciate it, Mark. And and congrats to you too. I know that you also recently got a promotion, which is also well-deserved. I'd say for me, number one, I, I don't want to beat around the bush and not acknowledge the fact that there's always luck in everything. And so the, the fact that I got lucky to stumble across a boss who really believes in me and who was willing to take a chance on me and also have a CMO who is also willing to take a chance on me and and invest in my career. I can't understate how valuable that is because I've been in different companies where that has not been the case and arguably speaking, performing at a high level and that not necessarily being recognized to the same extent. And it really comes down to who's your boss and do they support you and do they recognize what you do? So I think that's kind of something that just needs to get said because I'm not a product marketing expert by any means yet. I still have a lot of years under my belt that I need to learn, but I have a support network who believes in me, who I'm incredibly thankful for. And, and quite honestly, I owe a lot to. So I think that that's one thing that I just want to point out. But the second thing is that when whenever you think about trying to get a promotion and I've been promoted in the past before when I was in consulting, I think the main thing is that really uncovering the quickest path to knowing what the expectations of you are and where the gaps are in terms of what you need to do to progress to the next level and doing absolutely everything that you can to close those gaps if that's what's important to you. Because I think one thing that we often get, and I've been guilty of this too, is we get so tied up on the the title and the promotion and all these sorts of things And we don't stop to think about, okay, what's the real differentiator between my role and this next level up and making the deliberate effort effort to work harder at doing that. So since I was a relatively, you know, I, I was a new product marketer, my focus was always on how do I just get better as fast as possible? And that's just been my mentality for my entire career. And so you know, I rightly or wrongly invested a lot of extra hours into trying to figure all that stuff out, mostly because I was just insecure about not knowing what I was doing. And it ended up really helping me and getting noticed. So I think that's the first thing that I would say is, if you want to get the faster that you want to get promoted, the more insecure about your own skill set you have to be, because that will just push you to work harder and do more. And I'm not going to sit here and lie about work-life balance and things like that, because if you want to succeed, you have to work. And that's just the reality of the world. So I think that's an important thing to, to, to note. I think the second thing is you have to be very clear about what your company needs at a very specific time, because promotions aren't a formula that they happen for specific instances and specific contexts with a different set of stakeholders and people that are involved. And there's lots of things that you don't know that goes into them. So I think there's, there's also that aspect of it. And then the last thing is, I think you have to enjoy the struggle of trying to get promoted to, to be honest. I mean, one thing that, I've kind of learned over my career and, and seeing people get promoted quite quickly is that people get promoted for a lot of different reasons and you need to enjoy the process of getting promoted versus the aspect of getting promoted because that will make you approach it differently and focus on the things that you know you enjoy that you're building a skill set around And quite honestly, if you do those things and you're not being recognized for what you're providing, then it becomes a question of, okay, so what's the roadblock? What are we going to do to fix it? And putting a timestamp on it. And if you don't get the recognition that you think that you deserve, you know, it's good to start considering other options. I've always been an advocate of of that. So, but, but at the same time, like. I think it comes down to timing. I think it comes down to really being insecure about your skill set and doing everything that you can to make yourself better as fast as possible. And then just really understanding the different players that are at play in your company and knowing what your company needs from you and doing your best to solve that in the best way possible.
1: Yeah, you said so much great things there. So I won't rehash um, them too much. But one thing I will say, Uh, just in speaking through my own experience as well, is, you know, I'm fortunate that I work in an organization where they've got clearly defined levels and roles and expectations for different disciplines within the org. And if you happen to find yourself in a similar situation, one of the exercises that I found to be quite beneficial and is something I did with my managers to go through those levels and say, hey, this is where I am today. This is where I want to be in my next phase of my career and what those kind of skill gaps are. And these are the different projects that I want to undertake in my day-to-day role that will help me Tick the box of, of that gap or get or close that gap, um, and, and sometimes you have to think strategically with your direct manager on. Well, maybe this is something that I can do within my current role. Maybe I have to go and step outside my own product marketing world and partner with another team to get exposed to this area of the business, or maybe I have to go outside of my existing maybe product portfolio or or product um, area of responsibility and and get exposed to other parts of the business that I wouldn't necessarily do if I were to just stay in my lane. So I think that's a, a big part, but then. To go back to this theme that you talked about early on, and even just going through your own career search, if if having a more senior position and responsibility at some stage of, in your career is important to you, I don't think there's necessarily thing, anything wrong with bringing that up during the interview process. I think hiring managers always want to know what your aspirations and your expectations are. And I remember even just in going through the hiring process at Jobber, I was very clear with a hiring manager at the time that like you know I've been in product marketing for this amount of time, and I feel like the next logical step in my career is to become a senior PMM because it's a field that I'm passionate about. And I wasn't so direct to say, I need to be promoted within six months, 12 months, 18 months. You don't want to put a timeline on it, but I think it's important to say, like this is the step I want to take, and this is what I think I can do to get there. And I think this is how you as an employer can help me get there. And I want to set the target of being there around two years, three years, five years. It doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be a deadline, but it has to be a rough idea of, of what that looks like. So that way, I think the employer understands, okay, you know, Mark's coming in, he's hungry, he wants to take the next step, so I shouldn't be caught off guard if a year from now, two years from now, we start having those conversations. I think mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is get hired into a role where the expectation is that you're going to be in that role at that level for quite a bit of time, and your expectations don't jive with that. And again, both parties end up being frustrated after a year or two because one party you know, is happy where you're at, and you aren't. Uh, and then you ultimately end up essentially parting ways, which is the last thing you want to do um, in a situation. Well, not in a situation like that, but you know, it's never easy to have to leave a job for, for both parties. So
0: it's always uh, a, yeah, it's always a funny, a funny thing whenever you get into those situations. And I mean, just to kind of maybe tie this one off, you also have to be very clear about why. Like, why is that important to you? I mean, is it, you know, and being very clear with your manager, like you've described why that's important to you. I think for for me, the why, I never actively thought about getting promoted in, in product marketing, to be honest. I think I've made the mistake in the past of being very focused on being promoted in other roles, which the reason for it, rightly or wrongly, probably didn't jive with what the employer had kind of thought about in terms of their whole mental model of what getting promoted looks like. So I think for, for anyone, they have to be very specific about why why do you want to get promoted? Why is that important to you? If it's money, great. If it's influence, great. By the way, influence is earned regardless of what your title is. So if influence is your answer, then that's not going to be a really good one that you can uh, lean a promotion on. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's really important. And then just to put a finer point on it and and I'll, I'll always say this, and maybe it's the, the secret, you know, investment banker or equity research person inside of me. It's great to say something, but you got to work for it. Like I, I don't, I do. I definitely do see a lot of people who say that they want to get promoted and then they work nine to five and granted that that's great. And you definitely can get promoted if that's what you do, but you won't get promoted as fast. It's just it's just the reality of how the world works. And I've seen people in larger companies who work so much and they get promoted so fast because they're fantastic it's all a matter of the 10,000 hours rule, right? The more you work, the better you get at what you do, the better you get at what you do, the faster likelihood you're going to get have to get promoted. And that is just a reality of life. So I'd say that if getting promoted is important to you, make it in your top three priorities and put more of your time towards it and it will come. Um, but I, I don't think that, you know, you can expect to get promoted if you're just doing the bare minimum.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, That exercise, if you find yourself at an organization of identifying where you are today and where you want to be and and how that stacks against the, you know, the responsibilities and expectations of that role, you have to accept that, you know, for a period of time, you're going to be doing, again, the example of PMM to senior PMM, you're going to be a PMM doing senior PMM things for some time before the conversation of actually formally taking on that title comes into play. Yeah, And and I love that idea of the why, you know, and again, speaking personally for me in going through the recruiting process, you know, at Jobber and where I am today, that was one of the things that I made very clear in my kind of hiring phase like, you know, I was fortunate early in my career to to be a people leader and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And It's something that since getting into product marketing, I've missed a ton. And I said, you know, at some point in my career, whether it's, you know, at Jobber or elsewhere, I would love to people lead again. And I know the path to do that is to take on a more senior role. And that was much uh, a much more honest and I think logical conversation than just going into that saying, "Well, I need to be a seat in your PMM within six months," with with no real explanation as as to why that's the case. So yeah. I think you're absolutely right. You know, if if you understand the why behind what that next step in your career looks like, it makes that conversation much easier and it frames it in again what the gaps are to where you are today, and what you need to take on to to take that next step.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent.
1: Awesome. Well, Aubrey, this has been a fantastic conversation. I know I learned a ton. I'm sure listeners have learned a ton as well, especially those who are they themselves looking to get into product marketing or take the next step in their product marketing journey. So thank you so much for sharing your own experiences, your insights. Um, But before I let you go, I'm going to ask you the last question that I asked all my guests. And that's what's an area focused in the realm of product marketing, or close to it that you think product marketers will have to pay extra attention to this year more so than in previous years?
0: That's probably the easiest question that you you asked me today, Mark. So I'd say it's, it's revenue. I mean, if, if you're not thinking about revenue as a product marketer, you're not doing your job, but not only just revenue, it's all about revenue efficiency. How much revenue can you eke out and drive per unit of cost that gets put into that? And We're in a world of higher interest rates. The environment is uncertain. Lots of companies are are having difficulty selling their products and and maintaining customers. And so if if your job as a product marketer isn't being maniacally focused on how do you drive as much high profitability revenue as fast as possible, then you should probably be resetting your your priorities depending on what's important to your company, of course, but at least in the world that, that I operate in. We're always being challenged to really think about revenue, driving revenue, increasing retention, and doing it profitably in ways that serve our customers and help our business succeed. But I think that overarchingly, revenue is is the most important thing that product marketers should be worried about right now.
1: Yeah, I I think that's absolutely spot on. And I know there are a lot of product marketers who find themselves in situations where they feel like they, they can't necessarily directly tie their work to a revenue number. And what I would say to those PMMs is to to challenge your thinking and think about the indirect linkages, perhaps, to to that revenue number. Maybe there are specific product launches that you can support that have a direct tie to revenue. Maybe there's specific um, deals you can collaborate with sales on that have a direct line to revenue. And yes, you might not be able to say, I specifically independently on my own drove this revenue number, but you might be able to say, I partnered with these individuals on these projects and cumulatively and and collectively, we drove this in revenue. And that's, again, to bring it back to our last topic, a much more compelling conversation to have going into conversations around the next steps in your product marketing career than just saying, well, look at all the projects that I delivered this quarter or over the past several years. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think you're you're 100% spot on. So yeah, definitely. I like how you pose uh, how you phrase it. Being maniacally focused on revenue is, a, is, a, I think, going to be a, a key factor to a lot of PNM success this year, for sure.
0: Yeah from the from that side, I mean, there there are a lot of metrics that you can definitely pay attention to. I know that we do, we look at win rates, pipeline. Um, some leading indicators as well uh, particularly around things like trials things like that Um, also looking at you know customer win interviews is a great way to to understand because you can map that very directly against your messaging and your positioning and that I've found to be very very helpful in terms of when I talk to customers and try to understand why are they with us I ask them questions like that Um, I also think anything around Looking at um, you know, your your more top of funnel related stuff as leading indicators for driving revenue, at least from a messaging and a positioning perspective can be very helpful and doing some A-B tests around that, doing website conversion studies, all that kind of stuff is, is definitely a great way to see if your impact is driving tangible business outcomes especially if you're like a a pure B2B sales-led organization, there's always stuff in there that you can't control, like how a salesperson talks about your product or how they position your product or, you know, whether or not it's a good opportunity or not. But the more that you can kind of draw those direct linkages, the more you're going to be able to drive your impact, which at the end of the day, impact drives your success. So I think that's one thing that you should probably be worried about. Absolutely.
1: Well, like I said, Aubrey, this has been a great conversation. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of people coming up to you and asking you for guidance on how they themselves can make a transition into product marketing, if if they're looking to do that, or again, maybe take the next step in their career. Um, And if anybody would like to have that conversation, because again, on the the theme that we open this conversation around, you know, forming meaningful, professional, and personal relationships with individuals, um, where's the best place for someone to do that?
0: Best place is to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I, I love having conversations with people. I love to help people around this kind of stuff. The only thing that I would just mention is that if you do want to chat and connect, shoot me a message on LinkedIn, but include an actual message in it. Don't just send me an invitation request because I, I do I just don't accept those by by nature of I don't know how to help. Um, so if if you if you want to connect with me, please do just send me a quick note and I'd love to chat with you and see how I can help. Awesome.
1: Well, you know, if this conversation is is any indicator of the type of value you can bring to those conversations in general, I I strongly advise anyone listening to to reach out to Aubrey if, again, they've got questions about their own career and their own product marketing journey. So we can't stress that enough. So again, again, Aubrey, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed our chat.
0: Mark, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much and really a a privilege to be a part of what the pma is doing and it's amazing to to see kind of the, the impact that you're having honestly i think I've, I've listened to this podcast before i probably even got into product marketing and it's really been helpful for me so i'm glad that maybe i can help the community and, and give back in some ways so uh thanks again for for having me and it's it's been a pleasure likewise aubrey take care see you later mark
1: for everyone still tuned in thanks so much for listening and if you enjoyed the podcast please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to spot to an episode, there's a third.
0: Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.